0: Hello and welcome back to Happy Fork Radio, season five, and this season we are talking about digital and technological solutions to the circular economy. In today's episode, Barry and I are joined by Stephanie Benedetto. Stephanie is the co-founder of Queen of Raw, a marketplace to buy and sell unused textiles, keeping them out of landfills and turning pollution into profits. We talked to Stephanie about many things, including her role changing this notoriously unsustainable industry of fast fashion, working from the inside out, and she is a really inspiring figure and in everything that she's doing within Queen of Raw, and the ideas that started as a tiny seed and have grown to this whole platform that Queen of Raw is today, I think we can all take a lot of inspiration from everything that she's doing and the energy that she has towards this difficult and often tricky subject of sustainability in this industry.
1: Yeah, I really love this conversation. Everything from the name, Queen of Raw, through to all of the work that Stephanie and the business is doing. We talked about, you know, I guess the public face at the moment of Queen of Raw is this two sided marketplace to buy and sell dead stock or waste textiles. In addition to that, what was really fascinating, I thought, was how she described, the, I guess, additional background technology that allows businesses to maybe understand where their waste is, what it is, and in real time. So there's that digitization of an integration with inventory management and stock systems to understand that information, not just then to be able to sell it and to use it to make sure that that stays in circulation, keeps that value in circulation but also longer term to actually reduce waste. And she talked passionately about the reduction, the need to reduce those waste and work with fast fashion, you know, acknowledging the challenge there, and working with those businesses in order to, as she described it, that is the opportunity. That's where a problem is and that's where the opportunity is as well.
0: Mm. The potential for huge impact comes because this is an industry where there needs to be huge change and to take that on as a challenge is really admirable and I think that what Queen of Roar is doing and is kind of just the start of it, it's the tip of the iceberg, as we've found with so many of these conversations in this season, but a really interesting take on a difficult subject
1: definitely we touched briefly and hopefully as usual to anybody who's listening who wants to go and find out about the technology and their depth and a bit more we put the links on happyportradio.com in the show notes for this episode she touched on the use of ai and blockchain of building a two-sided marketplace which is a you know it's a tough product a tough business to be doing but underpinning that all of the purpose behind it it was really inspiring i hope you enjoy this episode and so without any further ado let's meet Stephanie
2: Stephanie Benedetto and I'm the Queen of Raw. We are on a mission to solve the world's water crisis and help turn pollution into profit. Really excited to tell you how and hopefully how we can all build a better future that makes sense for people, for planet and for profit.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. That's an amazing introduction. I love that I'm the Queen of Raw. That's brilliant. Welcome to Happy Porch Radio. It's so great to have you here.
2: So happy to be here. Thank you all for having me.
1: (laughs) So let's start with the obvious at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about how Queen of Rock came about and I guess exactly what you mean by that mission that you just stated.
2: Yeah, good question. And, uh, you know, ask me if I would be doing this years ago. You know, maybe yes, maybe no. My family has actually been in the fashion and textiles industry for over 100 years since the 1890s in New York. So I very much grew up around fashion textiles, supply chain, and always thought it was an incredibly powerful industry that kind of connected people around the world. But I really was frustrated with the sheer amount of waste that went on, you know, from raw materials to finished goods. So, you know, ask me back then if I was going to get into this business, I I would have told you no. I actually went to Wall Street as a corporate attorney right before the market crashed in 08 and 09. And ended up over time specializing in fashion, technology, sustainability. So I guess at the end of the day, we kind of get back to our roots and who we are and what inspires us. And uh, after the market crashed, I took that as my opportunity to, you know, go out on my own, go build a business and go change the world. And that kind of spirit was instilled in me from a very young age. And so I saw this huge problem around waste and unused textiles. And it just didn't make any sense to me why there would be all of this stuff, perfectly good fabric on rolls or finished goods that just sits in warehouses collecting dust or being burned or sent to landfill. And as I dug deeper into this issue and seeing firsthand just in warehouses and factories and mills around the world, the sheer amount of waste, it actually is to the tune of 120 billion dollars with a be a year worth of unused inventory that just sits in warehouses and, uh, or gets burned and sent to landfill. And so I knew that this didn't make sense for people and planet, but it sure as hell doesn't make sense for a business's profit either. And as we dove deeper, this stuff actually can eat up up to 15% of a business's bottom line in a year. And so I knew that this was kind of a massive problem that we had to tackle. And, you know, we built Queen of Raw as a global marketplace for anyone from a student maker, crafter, quilter, to the biggest brands and retailers in the world, from fast fashion to luxury, to be able to buy and sell all those unused textiles, help keep them out of landfill and turn that pollution into profit. And we can dive deeper into it, but it's kind of been exciting to see the growth and the response, especially in light of what's going on in the world today and how we can build a better future for tomorrow.
1: Mm. I really love how you're approaching all of that with, I guess, an opportunity mindset or a positive mindset, phrases like pollution into profit. I mean, when you look at the fashion industry, it's got, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff happening there. All the stuff you touched on, the amount of waste, the the fact that brands like to burn stuff instead of, you know, finding ways to use it in terms of so many things there. So where does that sort of opportunity mindset, where does that positive approach come from?
2: Well, you know, I mean, Personally, it was something that was instilled in me from a very young age. Um, Just kind of as a personal story, I actually had a brother who was accidentally killed two years before I was born. And I mentioned that because it definitely framed a lot of the way I look at the world. We talk about it a lot in my family. I realized that life is short, life is precious, and we need to take advantage of every single day to make a difference, to realize the the beauty of the gift of what we've been given. life and to, you know, challenge old school way of doing things and build a better future. And I think about my kids who you may hear in the background right now. I want my children to have, you know, clean water to drink, clothes that aren't toxic to wear and a planet to live on. And you mentioned that, you know, all of these scary statistics, which there are about how damaging fashion is to people and planet. But to me, the flip side of that is it is so damaging. And it is so, you know, the second biggest polluter of clean water globally. Well, what does that mean? That means that fashion, literally, if we can change things and turn things around, has the power to solve the world's water crisis, right? Like it is so powerful that if we can flip the way it does stuff, we can solve some of these real world problems. And so that's kind of the way I took on tackling this. And uh, I think a lot of times in this industry, especially when you're talking about sustainability, people recognize how bad things are for people and planet, but they don't always know how to find a solution to make it good for people and planet, but also for a business's profit. And that's been very important to how we think about building a business. It has to make economic sense for a big brand or retailer to adopt this solution, right? And so I I think coming up with these models in the future is going to be critical to building that future for our kids and future generations. Mm.
0: Wow. What a starting place to come from. And and to have that mindset of every moment, every day counts, so we may as well make a change in this world, that's that's pretty amazing. The way that you said, you know, you started in, you were actually working on Wall Street and then you kind of rolled back into fashion that's been in your family for generations. And then you found this issue and you're like, okay, so I'm going to make a platform and it's going to change the way things are done. Mm-hmm. It sounds simple. There's a problem, I mean a solution. What you have now, the platform that currently exists in 2020, is that what you imagined it would be when you started? How has it evolved to get where we are today?
2: Oh, how has it you know, we have, I think what's been beautiful and powerful about this experience for me and for the business is that we do have a very bold ambition. We are here to tackle the world's waste and the world's water crisis, and definitely want to build what we believe is going to be an Alibaba done right. So big, bold ambition there. And that definitely drives but you know how you get there <laughs> and what you start with and where you go like any good startup's journey i mean the story is full of interesting kind of turns and changes and opportunities and things you didn't even realize when you started so when we first had this idea i knew that technology was going to be the solution that that was going to how we were going to connect the dots across the world to connect all this unused inventory to all of these prospective buyers around the world, right? And the big challenge as we in doing that was I didn't have at the time a technology background. And so fortunately, I found a strong technical co-founder who partnered with me and we've been together ever since. And when we first started looking at this issue, we kind of sat at a Starbucks napkin in 2014 at a Starbucks and mapped out on a napkin what this would look like, this connecting of the dots and this marketplace. And, you know, we all had prior businesses. So we actually didn't open up the business till 2018. In that time period, we spent a lot of time kind of as we all had other businesses, but also learning about our customers, learning about the problem. And, you know, part of this, obviously, the timing has to be right. And fast forward to where we are today. And despite what's going on in the world, the timing couldn't be better for what we're doing and business has been booming. But, you know, we started the marketplace. And I kind of had a thought that it would be large brands and retailers selling kind of what you you know said at the beginning of the conversation scraps and odd lots and sample yardage to small and medium sized you know brands and students and designers around the world and as we've been going the marketplace we actually realized that this isn't just scraps off a cutting room floor some of our enterprise customers have thousands to tens of thousands to now 100,000 SKUs of unused inventory. And some of those individual SKUs have up to a million yards of unused inventory. So the sheer volume and scope of this obviously grew rapidly. And as the marketplace has been growing, we realized for our enterprise customers, there was a huge opportunity here. Because if you have that number of SKUs, right, or that sheer volume, we had to be able to automate some process of onboarding all of this dead stock, which is what we call it in the Unused stuff to our marketplace and provide them with kind of valuable data and analytics. So, you know, that's kind of where we've been growing now. In addition to the marketplace that you see on queenofraw.com, we do have kind of enterprise software and tools to help our enterprise customers do more faster, do better, and keep that waste out of landfill. So that's where we can now, with partnerships with SAP and other inventory management systems, we can actually automate the process of finding out what they have in inventory, in unused waste, sending that information to our marketplace quickly, easily, and digitally, and then over time, start to help them minimize those waste streams going forward. And that's my ultimate goal with all this, because the marketplace is great, but ultimately, I hope someday we don't need it, because everyone's on our software and tools, and they've minimized their waste streams going forward, and we've solved the world's water crisis. And then I'll go tackle the next problem. <laughs> but the yeah. long and the short is you know, bringing this community together, learning new things about the data and analytics and helping them better.
0: Yeah. I'm actually really glad to hear you say that but at some point you hope that this whole platform is kind of obsolete because obviously that's the ultimate mission i think for a lot of kind of businesses with an impact is that they hope at some point that impact has been made and they're no longer required and it's so good to have that as a goal because then that means that real change has actually happened
2: it has to be I would caution people, it is when you're doing that, you know, it's a big problem to tackle. So I think we have enough room to get there and to grow into something really big. But it's also beneficial for anybody working in the impact space to think about, well, okay, what happens once I've solved the problem? How can I still be valuable and relevant and support this community? And that's, you know, a key reason why we built this software and tools is to stay important, support them. Yeah. We can get
0: into the software and the tools in just a minute, but I just wanted to address something that you said you mentioned that timing is really important. And you said that specifically now business is going really well. And, you know, you've mentioned about this kind of sustainability aspect of, well, you've actually mentioned two things in terms of sustainability, one of them being fabrics and leftover materials that are burned, and the other being the usage of water. So can you just talk a little bit more about that? Because you've mentioned that You know, we are in a good time right now. And by that, I take it that you mean that the awareness of all this is actually kind of coming to a head. And everyone's kind of getting more aware of, especially in the fashion industry, the practices that we need to adapt in order to be more sustainable. But maybe the ins and outs of the sustainability practices aren't necessarily known to everyone.
2: Right. No. You're absolutely right. And um, a key part for any startup or business is absolutely timing. And despite what's going on in the world right now, and obviously hope first and foremost that everyone is healthy and safe, but thinking about this as an opportunity and what should the future supply chain look like, I think is pretty powerful. And, you know, talk to me years ago when we first started looking at this issue and we'd go talk, you know, we're based in New York City and we go in the fashion district and start to do some due diligence and research with our prospective customers. And, you know, for as many as there were great yeses and early adopters who understood the vision and the dream and what we were doing and how valuable this would be to their business and their bottom and top line, there were plenty of doors slammed in our face that said no. Fortunately, now, years later, many of those no's have turned into yeses, but it definitely took a while to get there. And when I first talked to some of these who are now customers, but years ago, this issue just wasn't top of mind. It was a nice-to-have, not a happy have to have, you know, they had their own business. It was working at a fast pace. They had their customers and they were churning out more and new and faster and better. And, you know, talk to them about digitizing supply chains, going on demand and local with production, slowing down their pace, being more sustainably minded. It, like I said, it just wasn't top of mind. It was maybe a tenth priority. And fast forward to today and what's going on in the world. I feel like we've all felt the impact. That a broken supply chain has on our life, right? When your Amazon order doesn't come in time uh, anymore, even using Prime, right? You're seeing what happened in the world when things are disrupted and break down. On the plus side, you're seeing what happens in the world when things do slow down and we are more thoughtful about what and how we do things, right? I mean, people are seeing skylines they never saw before and fish in canals in Venice that you never could see before. And our planet and people are in many ways healing. And I think it helps us now value what is important in life, spending more time with our family and our loved ones and being more sustainably minded. And I think McKinsey just came out with a phenomenal report through COVID showing how now digitizing supply chains and being sustainably minded and thinking about future and on demand and local is now a top one to three priority for every major fashion brand and retailer, because they see how important it is. And it isn't just about surviving today. It's about how do we thrive tomorrow and grow and innovate out of this? And the ones who are thinking about it, I think are the ones who are going to. And the ones who don't, they're going to be dinosaurs, so you know, despite what's going on in the world, if there's some good that can come out of it, I think it is this and and I'm excited to see what the future supply chain looks like and how we can support that digitally
0: mm. yeah, that's interesting with shift in in actually not such a long period of time, I suppose it's been coming for quite a few years, but in terms of you know you said you kind of had this initial seed of an idea in two thousand and fourteen, was it, and then Now, you know, we're in 2020, so it's not actually been such a long period of time in which you have seen the distinct difference in terms of interest in getting involved in this kind of a project.
2: Well, I appreciate that you think it's a short time. Sometimes it can feel like a lifetime, but in a good way. And we've come so so much forward and, and there's so much opportunity. So, yeah, right.
0: Yeah. So, can you tell us a bit more about exactly what it is that Queen of Raw? offers in terms of making supply chains and businesses more sustainable.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, right now, for example, right, the world is sitting on a crisis of supply. More canceled orders and waste and unused inventory than ever before because of collections being canceled, seasons being canceled, stores being closed, right? And the interesting thing about this waste and unused inventory and what we're here to support is that these businesses are sitting on a gold mine. More unused inventory than ever before that actually Provides value to them. This stuff has real dollar value attributed to it. And so for those who are worried about what. To do And how to, you know, make and save money with what's going on in the world. This provides real value and an opportunity for them to sell. And so instead of furloughing those workers, right, or having to slow down certain things, you can actually sell this unused inventory, take that money and put it into doing good in other parts of your supply chain. And trust me, the world right now is going to remember who the good actors are and who behaved well and who thoughtfully thought about these kinds of problems. Problems, Right. And so, you know, we're here to obviously help these businesses figure out what they have in unused inventory, because a lot of times this stuff is sitting in warehouses and nobody knows or it's on some Excel spreadsheet on somebody's desktop and nobody knows. And that's why there's all this waste. So we do help businesses figure out what they have in waste how to put that into one digital repository, one place where they can see everything in real time. And then, of course, we market, match, and sell that end to end to our global network. And now, based on the activities that they do and the buying and selling across Queen of Raw, we can start to create really valuable information and intelligent analyses about Stuff that that nobody ever knew before. Nobody ever knew what happened to this waste or, you know, if it ever got sold or if it was burned or landfilled, right? And now we can keep it in circulation and there's real value. Interestingly enough, we're not just, of course, supplying and sending stuff to our marketplace may seem obvious to sell your waste. But there's actually a huge value in turning around and buying unused dead stock right now. Obviously, you know, a lot of people understand the selling, but on the buying side, we've actually had some of our major enterprise customers who are not only selling unused inventory, but turning around and buying stuff. And you may ask, you know, why would the world's biggest fast fashion and luxury brands turn around and buy? Well, their supply chains have been impacted by disruption, right? And by the China trade wars and everything going on in the world. And so in many ways, being able to find what they need, when they need it, at a steep discount, located where they're manufacturing and doing it quickly and digitally is something so incredible. And the time and resources saved are massive. And so now they're turning around and buying too. And I think that's where we're really excited to continue to see that maybe We don't need to be producing as much as we have been in the past, and we can keep this stuff in circulation, and it's a Mm win-win-win.
1: That's almost the perfect example of circular economy, right? So reusing, keeping stuff in circulation, keeping the value, the win-win on both sides, the the sort of your waste is my input. It's like this wonderful story. So. When you were putting this IT together, one of the things that is often described as really difficult to do is this two-sided marketplace type of product, right? So you're trying to engage and understand the people selling and the sellers, and as you said, help them understand what they have, which is a big problem in itself, I'm sure, and then get it onto the marketplace and then get it matched and sold. And then you're also having the conversation with sellers. So was that as difficult as it sounds for you, or did it help that it's I guess that there's this the underlying mission to sort of drive those things forward.
2: Yeah. When, you know, building a marketplace is, as you mentioned, it's definitely not easy, especially when it's two-sided, although there is power in marketplaces like Amazon and Alibaba that can literally power and run the world. So I've always believed in the power of marketplaces to bring together a community digitally that have never been brought together before. And I get really excited, not just in the matching between buyers and sellers, but in by bringing bringing this community together, what else can we offer them? What are the shadow markets that we can create and support them and help everybody do better? When we first started, you know, I knew that there was going to be, at one point, you're going to be building up the supply. At another point, you're going to be building up the demand, then the supply right, then the demand. That's part of the magic of getting the flywheel to take off in any marketplace. So we decided to start very quickly and simply and easily and get a website up and running in a marketplace. And we only had a few products to sell, but we got it up because we were able to start capturing the demand. And we learned and realized what people were searching for who was searching, what they needed, what resonated with them about the storytelling that we were doing around Queen of Raw and its mission and its vision. You know, We didn't call ourselves Queen of Raw for nothing. The name definitely was sticky and memorable. We started building a buzz. Um, I think what served us really well early on was building that leadership and thought leadership and following and community because we learned so much. So as we started getting, we had a huge amount of demand. We learned a lot from the demand. And then we spent a lot of time building back up the supply. And that's where we started leveraging some of the tools that I just mentioned that we built using the fun technology like blockchain and machine learning to help us build up that supply and automate that supply onboarding quickly and easily. And now we're working on and growing the tools to match it even quicker to our demand and building up our demand again. So it's always that magic and that dance. And definitely in some ways, when I mention what I do, it sounds very quick and easy and simple marketplace, right? To buy and sell stuff. Okay. But when you dive into it, you know, the complexities are there and we really have been fortunate to have been first to market globally with this and to be building this kind of thought leadership and community and to really learning and understanding the complexity of textiles and supply chain and the laws and the logistics and you name it. And, And that's where we can provide valuable support.
1: Mm. I think that's been a recurring theme through the, the, our conversations in this season of the podcast, that it is complex and that there's so many facets and the people who are doing amazing work like yourself are not shying away from that or sort of almost enjoying or thriving on that challenge of there's more than one little thing here. You know, there's so many different, and you've touched on the technologies on that two-sided business and there's just so much there. and it But it sounds like... <laughs> That your energy, you sort of almost get more excited when you're talking about that and how big and complex it is. <laughs> is that true?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think part of what is hard but also powerful and fascinating about startup life is that it is really about problem solving and getting through barriers. And one of our core principles at Queen of Raw really is, you know, find closed doors and open them. And I stand by that. We stand by that very truly. Like, there are always going to be closed doors. How do we think about how we can open them, right? and by doing that you are moving into that door right and moving forward and it helps us get through the roadblocks for sure so we do get excited by challenges and coming up figuring out creatively how to come up with solutions look if it was easy everybody would be doing it but they're not right so it definitely does take a certain type of a person to enjoy this but on the days when maybe there are some challenges that you get frustrated or you know you think about something that you're not quite sure how you're going to solve it yet i definitely look to the metrics. We look every day, we calculate the amount of water, the toxins, the energy and the dollars that we've saved our community. And to date, we've saved well over a billion gallons of water. And that's actually enough clean water for 1.43 million people to drink around the world for three years. So when we get frustrated, or you wonder why you're doing things, or you're pulling your hair out, if you look at something like that as your guiding light, you know, you get reinvigorated all the time. And, and I look at my kids and, and that just reminds me again why I'm doing what Doing. So, you know, you find that inspiration and take on those challenges, but it, it is what differentiates you and it, what makes it different and special and hopefully meaningful to leave that lasting impact. And not to mention, have a little bit of fun while you're doing it, right? <laughs> we can get- caught up in all of this, but it's been a lot of fun learning and leveraging a lot of what we've been doing and building the community. And, and, you know, in terms of how we're trying to leave a lasting impact, we are actively actually a part of involving government and other enterprise stakeholders in changing the laws around circular economy. We're part of the New York Circular City Initiative, backed by mayors and government and enterprise and ourselves. And we are putting out a white paper in September that is going to start to hopefully position the changing of the laws in New York, make it circular. And not just to slap businesses with millions of dollars in li- you know in liability for not complying, but also to show them solutions like ours that can help them offset that liability. And and that's an exciting piece of what we do too.
1: Yeah, that is really exciting. And that I guess that really emphasizes what you were saying there about being driven by that impact and being able to say through the tough days, this is why we're doing this. And also this is why we're getting involved in conversations that are above and beyond You know, our business. That's really inspiring. And I think that is something that I'm really enjoying as we're talking to, you know, the circular economy umbrella is such a broader thing. But within that, there's these recurring themes about actually genuinely trying to have positive impact and tackle these big problems.
2: You have to. And, you know, sustainability, that S word, right? It means so many things to so many people. And that's great. We take a very broad view in our platform of sustainability and, and in what we think supports that triple bottom line of people, planet and profit. But at the end of the day, I do love the word circular economy because it's economy. It's an economic principle and the value that we can show businesses from an economic perspective about being sustainably minded, circular economy minded. I think that's where we're going. And technology has a huge role to play in the digitization of this information and being able to facilitate and support that. So many times, some of the big brands and retailers we talk to, you know, it's awesome when they come out in the papers and they say, by 2030, we're going to be 100% sustainable. But who knows what that even means and how you're even going to get there. And when you make those kind of big, bold claims, it's awesome. It puts a stake in the ground. And I hope they even just get 1% of the way there. That's even awesome. But you know, you can say that and almost get stuck you don't know where to begin or how to do it. And I think that's kind of what we've really focused on is how do you find the quick and easy wins to being sustainably minded, to unlocking value in dollars that you can then put into doing even more good in other parts of your supply chain. And that, to me, was looking at this issue of waste. And Caring is just one fashion brand among many who've done an incredible job at showing the profitability and the economics of sustainability. So excited to see more and hopefully all uh, be able to do it right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really is those initial smaller changes, you know, low hanging fruit that lead to bigger fundamental structural changes that actually make have a really big impact across maybe the industry, maybe the world, who knows, which is really encouraging.
2: And so many of these businesses, of course, they wanted to have their supply chain be digital end to end from farm to finish good to end of life. That's amazing. But for these businesses who are, you know, like my great grandfather doing business in the 1890s, right? A lot of them still are doing old school ways of doing business on pen and paper and Excel spreadsheets. How do you even begin to think about digitizing end-to-end and overhauling entire systems and supply chains. And I think this is a great place to start. And then once we've digitized the waste and this piece of the supply chain, we can start to connect the dots up and down the chain. And then there's, you know, real connectivity powers. But like I said, a good place to start.
0: Yeah. So we talked about how circular economy, when it's done well, can be a real win-win for all sides of the supply chain. And also, you've mentioned a couple of times the idea of that triple bottom line of people, planet, profit. And I feel like we can't talk about sustainability in the fashion industry without talking about people. You know, I think it's a big fact that many people are becoming more and more aware of within this industry. And I think especially, unfortunately, now in the current circumstances of the world, it's having a big impact on the people that work in this industry around the world, and producing these fabrics and, the, and these materials, how does that play into the kind of idea of sustainability that Queen of Raw is helping to promote and transition to?
2: It's massively important and key. It is the people of people, planet, and profit that is important uh, for sure. And. So we have definitely are a managed, curated marketplace. So we do go through a vetting know your customer process before anyone is activated as a seller on our platform. And for our large enterprise customers in our software and tools, we can also vet the buyers. And that is very important to be able to run these checks to know their treatment of people and how good the quality and condition of their factories and their partners are critically important important to what we do. And so, you know, that's very important. I think we wouldn't be able to do anything or have any meaning in the fashion industry, if not for the people who are making it. And a big piece that I think, and where Queen of Raw has also been able to support is a lot of times there are brands and retailers who are doing good things and do have good practices around their treatment of people and fair labor and working conditions, but they don't always know how to talk about it. They're afraid to. Right. And one of the things that we can do with Queen of Raw is, you know, in our software and tools, we can actually give them the data and the tools to tell that story about what they're doing. And they can speak with confidence as it relates to information that we have secured and verified in a record. So, you know, now not to get too into the the technical details, but we can actually connect the queen of raw story and what is bought and sold on our platform to the RFID thread or QR code in an actual finished good. So when you as the end customer go to purchase that shirt, you can scan that QR code and see the story of the dead stock that was rescued to make that beautiful shirt from queen of raw and the amount of water and toxins and energy saved, and even up the chain to the good practices of the men and women making these shirts. And I think that unlocks so much in storytelling that. And consumers want right now, I mean it isn't just millennials and gen Zs it's across the board, and we need more of those good stories because that's how the good actions kind of rise to the top, and the bad actors uh kind of fall away and I think that's where the future in this beautiful storytelling and the digitization of this information it allows us to know now in real time if someone is a good or bad actor and how their practices are and that is massively important
0: mm, I agree it is so important, and I think a lot of the time that as a consumer but also as you know as various points in the supply chain there's questions of okay maybe you're telling me that this is the case how do I know I can trust it how do I know that this information is valid and that actually this is what's happening on all levels of sustainability you know whether that's social or environmental sustainability there's often just a level of trust that has to be in place I think that
2: And if you don't know, where do you go to find information, right? And there are wonderful platforms like Good On You and others that are springing up where you can, in seconds, type in the name of a brand and know instantly kind of a general rating and understanding of what is known about the practices that scans trade journals and research and publications to do that analysis. So, you know, this information, thanks to the digitization of information and the social nature of social media, this information is known now more and more. And we're able to uncover those practices. So you do know, but right. I mean, you know, it can't all be on the consumer. It is also on the brands and retailers to put these practices in place and to support this. So it's Mm. all a part of the top down and bottom up. Mm.
0: So Stephanie, coming from a place of in your blood, having history in this industry of fashion and being a pioneer in this moment in time of the future of fashion and the way the industry works. What are your hopes for how we can move forward in terms of how we think about fashion, how we produce it, and how we consume it?
2: Yep, great question. Everybody seems to be talking about the need for fast fashion to die and go away. And I do sometimes get criticized on panels when I speak because we absolutely work with fast fashion. And I'll tell you why because I believe that talk about the way we started this conversation about how damaging fashion is to the planet and fast fashion is a major contributor of that. It's also the key to unlocking the solution, right? I mean, if you can change just 1% of the way a fast fashion brand does business, that can have massive impact on practices around the world. And that is a place to me to start. And so what does the future look like? I definitely think that, right, that for consumers we've had the raw foods movement for a long time and people care a lot about the ingredients and the form to table and the foods they put in their bodies. Now it's time to take a look a little bit deeper at the tag on a shirt or pants and the clothes that touch our body 24 seven, right? And like the food and ingredients, if you can't read the ingredients in the shirt on the tag, probably isn't good to be touching your skin. So it's kind of a simple, quick way to check that something that is touching you and your children all day is safe and that you're promoting kind of good materials. But like I said, it's starting this conversation. It's not just all on the consumers. It's also on the brands and retailers. And what does the future look like? And I think we are in a huge opportunity now to truly go change the world if as fresh and brands and retailers in many ways a lot are going bankrupt right the ones who innovate are the ones who are going to survive and thrive and the ways they innovate i think is looking at the future being more digital so that information is connected and more clear and transparent. Doesn't mean that they necessarily have to overhaul everything overnight, but starting to think about that, starting to think about building up supply chains and manufacturing products that are made locally made on demand when customers actually need and want it, not forecasting years in advance, that just starts to support, I think, what the positive, powerful future supply chain could look like. And I think if you bring both of those together, we have a a really bright future that we're looking at. And the time is now to make that difference and make that change and go change the world.
0: Mm, Powerful. And also, you mentioned the responsibility shared between consumers and producers. I think maybe the third leg of that responsibility is something you've already mentioned in terms of policy that comes into place, I think, to kind of pull industry in a direction that we hope it can go deeper into. But as an incentive, certainly policy has a big role to play there.
2: You're right. But to me, you know, Europe has done an incredible job. It isn't just about slapping businesses with millions of dollars in liability and letting them to continue. It's about how do you curb, to your point, behavior and incentivize people? And how do they know about the solutions that are out there that can help support them to do better and do good while being profitable? And, you know, Europe has done a great job with EPR policies, recycling laws, and I think that that is growing in the United States and Asia as well. And, And so we are at this tipping point for building that kind of a positive kind of future that is connected with the policymakers and the people. Interestingly enough, you know, this is kind of seems small, but I think it could also have a massive impact, although a little bit outside of what we do, we do talk a lot to waste management and end of life, because inevitably there comes a point, no matter how long we keep this stuff in circulation, that there will be an end of life for it. And how do we tell waste management companies what these goods are, what they're made of, and what to do with it, how they can be recycled, how they can be returned to the brand and reused in some way. And, you know, being able to know the information about the product, which is digitally and instantly, which is part of what we do, can help waste management do that. But to even get it to waste management, we need consumers to do some form of recycling. And I hear so many times from, you know, regular end consumers I don't know where to go or what to do with this stuff. And I think also that's where now there's some gamification to be played to incentivize for the brands and retailers to incentivize end consumers to say, here at End of Life is the local you know, recycling spot. This is where you drop it off. By doing this, you've just saved X amount of gallons of water and here's a coupon on your next purchase, right? And I think starting to think about that as well is, is a massive opportunity.
1: Yeah, and that in itself, as you say, is another, it's a whole other part, a whole other facet of this fascinating and difficult and amazing problem that you're tackling. I wanted to kind of try to draw one conclusion out of this conversation that I think has come across really strongly, that I think is relevant to the reason we're doing this season of the podcast. You've used the word digitization a lot and the sort of getting that data and that understanding, using those tools and the technology, not for their own sake, but in order to have this impact. And within the industry that I'm part of, I feel like that we have a bit of a responsibility to be inspired by people like yourself, Stephanie, and the work you're doing in order to use the skills, the technology, the power that the digital industry has to be involved in these kinds of solutions that you're working on. So that might be as individuals, you mentioned your technical co-founder and the people in your team and the people and the people you work with with technical design. I assume that there's a whole bunch of expertise that can input into those things. But also then thinking about, I know some people listening or, you know, that we work for, you know, comms agencies or design and build or, or in the services to brands and PR and everything. And I feel like there's a real opportunity and, as I said, a call to action for us to be inspired by people like Stephanie to be a positive part and to help in our own little way to contribute to that, the solutions to the kind of problems that you're working on.
2: Yeah. Well thank you. In any way we can support that, you know, I think there's a huge also opportunity here in how the storytelling is done. Now that we've are digitizing this information and we know it in real time, how can we do better about supporting and sharing the good work of the good people who are doing good things? And I think there's a lot of room and opportunity in the storytelling and the sustainability conversation to grow and do even better and resonate even more with everybody. And we're excited to be a part of that and to work with individuals like yourself and appreciate all the feedback and support. It doesn't happen without this kind of community and collaboration. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah,
1: 100%. And so, thank you so much again. Just one final point, just for anybody listening who wants to find out more about the work you're doing, more about Queen of Raw, where should they go?
2: You bet. So I'm very transparent. I mean, it goes along with sustainability and transparency. You can reach me directly at stephanie at queenofraw.com, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, queenofraw.com, one word. And I actually give out my cell. It's 203-981-6993. If there's something I can do to help you and support it, feel free to reach out. Together, we will change the world.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And as usual, we'll share those on happyporchradio.com and the show notes, the links, everything we've mentioned. I would also suggest people go and check out some of the talks you've done. I you know some of those are on YouTube and some of the content that you share with via Queen of Raw. I think that helps to bring some depth to what we were talking about today. Thank you so much again, Stephanie. Really enjoyed our conversation.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks. Be well. You can find notes and links from this
0: episode plus a full transcript at happyporchradio.com. If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a positive review on your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Happy Porch Radio.